0: Pause your word counts and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thank you so
1: much for joining us. I am Jessica Sinsheimer, literary agent with Context Literary and the co-founder
2: of the Manuscript Academy. We are so excited for tonight. (laughs) Never be as excited as you are, but I am tonight, Jessica. I'm Julie Kingsley. I'm co-founder of the Manuscript Academy. I'm a screenwriter teacher for over 20 (laughs) years, and I'm also an entrepreneur and a writer, and I'm so happy to see you all here tonight. Hi, everybody. I'm
3: Valentina Johnson, the creative director at the Manuscript Academy. I'm the one who's going to make all you sound better than real life and this recording this evening. If you have not checked out our podcast, you can head over to the slash podcast for our 160 plus episodes. I'm so excited to hear you guys talk today. <laughs> yes. So if you would
1: like our podcast, thank Valentina. She does an absolutely amazing job. Believe me, behind the scenes, you'll see a little taste of that tonight is very different <laughs> than what you see in the actual podcast feed. She's here to make everyone sound better than real life, and she does a really wonderful job bringing out everybody's unique voice, as it were. So well done, Valentina. Round of applause, Thank you we would say. So we are here tonight because the world has been really stressful lately, and we know this affects your creative work. We wanted to give you a break from some of the stress of the world and publishing by creating a positive. Feedback only space.
2: And we have some friends on our panel tonight. We have two amazing literary agents. Our first agent is Kayla Leitner. Kayla, come on up and tell us about you and what you're looking for.
4: Yeah. First of all, hello, everybody. I hope everybody's hanging in there. As Julie mentioned, my name is Kayla Leitner. I'm an agent at Aisha Pondé Literary. In terms of what I'm looking for, I'm a really omnivorous reader. And so I represent authors across fiction and nonfiction. The fiction side, I love, love anything speculative. And I consider speculative to be a broad umbrella. So Sci-fi, fantasy, magical realism, horror, everything in between, especially if you can use it as a tool of social analysis or an examination of family dynamics. Some of my favorite books are Colson Whitehead's Nickel Boys or *Amazing Card's These Ghosts Are Family. And on the nonfiction side, I represent narrative nonfiction. So essay collections, memoirs, and I love stuff that I call deceptively entertaining. So maybe on the surface, it sounds really trivial or it seems just really humorous but the longer you sit with it, you realize, oh my God, this author is actually getting me to think about some stuff. I also do graphic novels, but yeah, I'm so excited to spend an evening with you
2: guys. Hey, thanks, Kayla. <laughs> <laughs> Our next literary agent tonight is Caitlin Sanchez. Caitlin, come on up and tell us about you and what you're looking for.
3: Oh my gosh, how do I follow Kayla? That was amazing. <laughs> if anyone has acquired like, her yet and written anything like that, you should definitely be praying her. She's awesome. Oh. Easy way to associate it is look at what I look like that's what we represent. So I look like a 12 year old. So I also think like a 12 year old. So I actually think a lot younger sometimes. My main focus is picture books. When I'm tickling into middle grade and YA, I have a few authors there that I'm really excited about. Even one of my YA authors wrote something adult that I'm subbing too. So I'm totally up for anything. As long as it's good writing, I love it. I know that's very generic, but when it comes to agenting, I essentially am kind of like this positivity panel. <laughs> I love positive things. Like I'm totally good with their, being a dark side as long as there's something hopeful involved. So I typically rub really happy things. I also love a lot of humor. Humor is such hidden myths, but I like a lot of stuff anywhere from dry UK seeming humor to fart jokes. We'll end on that. <laughs> oh my God.
1: And if anyone's wondering, as Caitlin's agency sister, I can vouch for her always being this delightful. She just always has a lot of energy. So she's not just putting it on for you. She really is this
3: whole theme for Jessica. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So uh, speaking of humor, our next faculty member for tonight, panelist is Anna Cranich Connathan, screenwriter and a writing creativity coach. Anna, come on up. Hi,
5: everybody. I am coming to you from Southern Maine, from next door to Julie (laughs) team's house and my background. Actually, I resisted writing, dragging, kicking, screaming, biting. It was something that my third grade teacher told me I was. I told her she was wrong. I was an actress, I was gonna be on stage. And then when I pursued my acting career and started doing stand-up, everyone wanted to know, what are you writing? You've got a great voice, you should write. I'm like, writers are lonely. Writers get depressed, actors get attention. So eventually I became a screenwriter because it was literally the path of least resistance. <laughs> and I love pitching. I love being in the room with people. I love being on stage with people. I found out after my son was born that I'm incredibly ADHD, which makes the ask plus chair thing a little tricky. So I started writing and I actually found a lot of things about myself as a writer. And what I really discovered is I love helping other people find their voice, figure out how to find their way of writing. Cause there's so many different ways to write. You can write while you're walking, talking into your phone. You can write on a legal pad. You can write on your computer. The thing I'm most excited about is just being completely 100% my authentic self and helping other people do that too. Because the voice in your head may sound boring because you hear it all the time. And when you realize that your voice is interesting to the people who aren't in your head, how do you really get into that and lean into it, open it up, crack it open and share it with people and fly your freak flag. Yeah.
2: Thanks for being here, Anna. Thanks for having me. Y'all out the window a little bit. And the last panelist is my great friend, Cameron Kelly Rosenblum. Cameron, come on up and tell
6: us about your amazing books and your amazing writing career. So I have known Julie for a long time. I too, I'm in Southern Maine. I have a YA, I just happen to have it right here, that I published with Quiltree in 2020. It just came out in paperback, which I'm very psyched about. And it's YA Contemporary. I lean a little towards mental health issues, but I'm very big on the hope. I don't like to read books that are not hopeful. So I only write if it's hopeful at the end, but I find myself getting into some pretty deep issues. So the stepping off place was my first book. And my second book is called The Sharp Edge of Silence, which is got a little more of a thriller. It's still YA contemporary coming out from Quiltry in April 23. I had a really Long road to get here. <laughs> Obviously, it's not like I worked every single day for 10 years on my books, but I worked for 10 years before I finally set myself up one way or another. Lots of thanks to Julie, actually. She's an awesome critique partner. And so I'm just really excited about this positivity panel. I had so much fun looking over the submissions and a really hard time choosing just ones. Awesome. Thanks so much, you guys. So, what's going to happen is we're going to call up our panelists one by one, and they're going
3: to call out their favorites. Everyone, please have your query in first page ready in case you're called.
1: Okay, first up, we have Kayla. Yeah. Who did you choose? Okay, so, yes,
4: there were so many good submissions, and so I had such a hard time choosing. But, ultimately, I selected Sunday We Will All Laugh About This by Kelly McLennan.
7: Okay, Kelly, <laughs> come on now. This is so exciting. I never win anything. And it's been such a journey trying to get this thing into the agent's eyes. This is really exciting. So Kelly,
1: tell us a little bit about you and your work.
7: So I am currently an MFA student. I live in Minneapolis, but I grew up in the Bay area in California. I've been here for coming up on two years and I love it. Though snow is very weird to me. Yeah. I've been writing forever and I work as an editor and I volunteer as an editor for literary magazines. So I'm trying to do all the things.
1: Awesome. And Kayla, why don't you talk a little bit about what you chose this project?
4: Yeah, I think first and foremost, I loved the title. And I'm such a sucker for family sagas, family drama. Give me all the tensions between children and parents and grandparents and aunts. I think it's such a wonderful source of creative inspiration. And you absolutely exhibited that in your query and your first page. I loved your comps. I swear to God, I I didn't know this when I picked, but when I saw Kristen Arnett's with Teeth, Chris Narna is an APL client. I was like, oh, how serendipitous. And so very much on brand with what I love to read, like those quirky, weird family story So yeah, loved your columns. Also the way you're able to embody these two different perspectives. But I got such a succinct understanding of who the two main characters of the book are so immediately and you nailed it. And it was just like a really strong query in first page.
1: Thank you so much. Fantastic. Kelly, are you ready to
7: read? Yes. So should I start with my query? Yes, please. All right. So I have dear and then in brackets, agent name. Someday We Will All Laugh About This is a completed 84,000-word humorous literary slash upmarket family drama told in an omniscient third-person point of view involving three generations suddenly thrust together and forced to overcome their differences in order to coexist. With the drama and complicated characters of Kristen Arnett's With Teeth and the tone and troubled teenager of Forsyth Harmon's Justine, this book explores interpersonal relationships and the way inner troubles color those interactions. And then I have a note in brackets that I always add a personal usually something off of the agent's manuscript wishlist page. Daniel is the former guitarist for a hard rock band who's been mooching off his girlfriend while waiting for his next great opportunity. But when he learns that Melissa, the mother of his daughter Jessalyn, has been imprisoned, he's now on the hook for taking care of the kid. This news gets him kicked out, leaving him single, homeless, jobless, and saddled with a teenager he barely knows. Without any other options, he quits New York and returns to his childhood home in Connecticut. Maven, Edith, his mother and aunt, just want to enjoy their golden years and aren't thrilled about the intrusion of a deadbeat dad who won't let go of his rock star past and a messed up teenager into their lives. Jessalyn has her own problems and not just having to leave everything behind to live with three relatives who are near strangers. She'd promised her mom she wouldn't binge and purge anymore, but why bother when your mom is in jail? In the face of a complete erasure of everything she thought she knew, she's forced to learn who she really is. Daniel, meanwhile, has to figure out what comes next, but all he knows is that he wants, no, needs, to get back to New York City. But as it becomes clear that Melissa won't be getting out anytime soon, he realizes he has to step up and be the responsible parent Jessalyn needs. I received my BA in English from Sonoma State University, and I'm currently an MFA student at Concordia St. Paul, as well as an assistant poetry editor for Narrative Magazine. In 2019, I attended AWP's conference in Portland and was a fall winter intern with Copper Canyon Press. In addition to querying my novel, I'm actively submitting my stories and poems to literary journals. Born and raised in the California Bay Area, I now live in Minneapolis and work as an editor. Thank you for your time and consideration.
1: Hey, just to note my moment in the cinema state. I love it over there.
7: So chapter one. Maeve, phones for you. Edith pounded on her sister's bedroom door. It's Daniel. She waited a few seconds, then went out the door with another barrage. Maeve, I know you can hear me, you old hag. Quit playing dead and open the door. A muffled groan of defeat seeped through the wood separating the sisters. Then a raspy shuffling of bunny-slippered feet before the door opened. Bags under Maeve's eyes emphasized the wrinkles that were creeping into her skin and her gray hair frazzled out in defiance of gravity. Edith locked eyes with Maeve and thrust the latter's cell phone at her chest. You left it in the living room last night. Maeve made no move to take the phone. Edith scrunched her blue eyes, highlighting her own collection of creases, and protruded her lower lip. Her freshly dyed purple hair was knotted in a messy bun. Take the phone, she said out of the side of her mouth, voice lowered so the caller wouldn't overhear. Maeve cocked her head with a despairing look. Edith pressed the phone against Maeve's pastel blue nightgown. After a standoff of several seconds, Maeve finally succumbed and took the phone could have let it go to voicemail, she grumbled, mostly to herself. I'll start the coffee, he just said. You want a bagel? Maeve nodded, then closed the door and brought the phone to her ear. Daniel, she said, not quite accusatorily, but with a touch of suspicion. He hadn't called in over half a year
4: so oh, good <laughs> hearing you read it out loud was better <laughs> thank you so much I could keep going about why I love this the crotchety old sisters truly you do such a good job and I'm seeing this in the chat as well of embodying voice and using dialogue to not only start to sow some seeds of okay we know that there are these two sisters there's some going on with Daniel They're not really excited to talk to him but also showing their relationship and their dynamic that they bicker and so truly a wonderful wonderful first page. I love that I was surprised with the little detail with purple hair. And so I was not expecting that. And immediately I was like, okay, I'm on board for whatever these two sisters are up to and whatever's going to happen with Daniel. It was just such a strong opening. And as I'm sure everybody here knows, first pages are very hard. (laughs) They are your reader's first introduction to the story, to the character's You don't want to introduce so much that it feels like you're info dumping, but just enough so that you start to become emotionally invested and you nailed it. An excellent job. Thank you so
7: much.
1: I'm so happy to see this dynamic. Thank you so much both. Where can we find both of you online if you want to share your Twitter or social?
7: Yeah, I am on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly McLennan. It's M-C-L-E-N-O-N. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank
4: you. I'm on Twitter at Kayla Leitner or Leitner Kayla, one of those. I don't remember. <laughs> but that is where you can find me. And also, I'm currently closed to queries. We'll probably be opening up sometime after July. And so you can just go to pondayliterary.com. And that is how you can submit to me.
1: Thank you so much, Kayla.
3: Next up, we have Caitlin. Come on down. So my winner, drum roll, please, is Eric Hahn. With Jake and the Dragon Talker. Okay, let me get Eric. Hello. Eric. Congratulations.
8: <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm excited that Caitlin picked me because I heard her say that she's eternally twelve. And I've been told that by kids all the time after we talk for a while. You're really a, just a kid stuck in a grown up's body. And I'm like, yes, you know me. So kindred spirits already.
1: Eric, tell us about you and your work.
8: I've been wanting to be a writer forever, like probably most people. In fourth grade, I wrote a series of stories titled Sherlock Han and (laughs) their, their titles... My teacher encouraged me to read them for the class, and that was just so fun and awesome, and I thought I was the best, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. haven't really done it yet. I've been a teacher, been in education for most of my life, and then when pandemic hit, I decided to take a break and paint houses and listen to audiobooks all day.
3: And Caitlin, why did you choose Eric? Oh man, there's so much to choose. I'll let him read it first before I gush completely. But I will say that right from the start, when you listen to his first line of the query, I was like, oh yeah, I'm in right now.
8: Okay. Dear Caitlin, Jake's sixth grade counselor describes him with words like tendencies and spectrum. Jake considers himself basically typical as long as his hands are clean, fabric soft and routine rigid. When he wakes up on the dirty, wet, ground with no idea how he got there. Jake's number one concern is getting cleaned up a distant second. He's in a totally different world. (laughs) One that looks exactly like the medieval village dragon diorama. He's been obsessively working on that totally different world is Xander's home. She works hard on her family's farm and in the King's stables. She isn't afraid of a little mud and muck. She also knows how to fight. She's yet to lose to any of the other stable boys, who are all, well, boys. But when she's caught eavesdropping on the scheming of the local wizard, she must flee to the wolf-packed woods. Safe in her secret hideout, the last thing Xander expects is to encounter a visitor from another world. She's reluctant to enlist Jake's help. Still, she senses there's more to him than his strange clothing and hygiene fixation. This might be related to the dragon who showed up almost on Jake's heels. The dragon possesses knowledge that will help them, but she has her own problem. The wizard stole some of her lifeblood. Jake and Xander both want to go home, but the only way they can do that is by working together. Jake will have to get dirty. Xander will have to get along and they'll both have to get that lifeblood before it's too late. Jake the Dragon Talker is a 60,000-word middle-grade fantasy that combines the spooky feel of the jumbies with the whirlwind adventure of the Stormkeeper's Island and the unlikely hero's quest of the Beyonders. As a teacher managing my own tendencies and father of a boy who lines up toys by attribute instead of playing with them, I've experienced firsthand the amazing capabilities of individuals on the autism spectrum. This story honors diverse kids teaming up on a mission to defend good, defeat evil, and get a little more comfortable in their own skin. Thank you for your consideration. Sincerely, Eric Hahn.
3: Let's pause before your pages because that was so good. You didn't just have something at the beginning, something at the end, and your awesomeness lives in the middle of your pitch. Like your awesomeness shone throughout, not just like who you are, your voice, but also what you're trying to represent, what you're trying to show. We're all learning so much about the autism spectrum. This is a huge representation through fantasy that these kids feel empowered and they see themselves there. There's probably a lot of people that have been on the spectrum that love fantasy that have never seen themselves there. And so to me, this was extra epic because of that. I can't say enough about how amazing this sounds and how amazing I can imagine it's going to be just because of everything you've given.
8: Awesome. Thank you.
3: Ready with your first bank.
8: Okay. (laughs) Chapter one, a disturbing drawing. Jake rubbed his temples with his middle fingers, eyes squeezed shut. Then he opened them, flipped open his binder and took out a crisp new sheet of college ruled notebook paper from behind the paper tab. He wrote his label, Jacob Brugman, six math, period one, neatly in the top right corner, and aligned this paper with the right edge of his desk. This would be his scratch paper for working calculations. It was important to keep the test paper neat and uncluttered. As he reached to snap the three-ring binder closed, he noticed a small crescent of dark dirt under the nail of his left thumb. He closed his eyes again, but when he opened them the little crescent of dirt was still there. Mrs. Muller was passing out the test, telling students to begin when they got it and work quietly. Jake looked at the clock. He looked at the test page Mrs. Muller had deposited on his desk. Then he looked back at the line of filth under his thumbnail. He copied down the first problem on his scratch paper. His eyes were drawn back to the dirt. This was pointless. He squeezed his eyes shut again and raised his hand. May I go to the bathroom? He asked when Mrs. Muller came over. He hoped she wouldn't remind him that this was first period, and he should have taken care of that before school started. She gave him a tight-lipped look, but didn't say anything as she nodded and motioned toward the door. Now Jake stood in front of the mirror, scrubbing his hands, thinking about earlier this morning. He'd had a dream, a nightmare. He never remembered his dreams. But he recalled the basics of this one. He had been running. No, not just running, running away, being chased, hiding on the ground under some bushes, face to face with fragrant, almost black soil. He knew the way you just know in dreams that the unseen it that was hunting him was just about to push the bushes aside and grab him. And that was when his alarm went off.
3: Epic. That's when his alarm went off. Who's not excited now? Oh, I have to know what happens next. That's so true to a kid's day. You could feel it with him. You knew it was happening. And then you dove straight into, now let's get into the exciting parts. We're getting to know your character and we're getting to know the excitement. We already know that there's going to be something that has to do with a dragon, but him facing that fear. So I can see where the epicness is going to come.
2: I'm not sure you noticed her reaction when she was like taking up the entire screen, like her little tiny query dance, but maybe Kayla or Kaylin or Jessica. Do you feel that? Do you feel that in the inbox you see one that you really love? Yes.
3: There is definitely some where we're like, oh my God, you guys have to realize too. I was a writer first and then I became an agent and like, I was sitting there like, why don't I get more feedback? Why, if they like it, are they saying no? You can't imagine how many do you get and how many amazing ones we get. And you have to also remember that you want the partner. Same thing when you get an editor, when you get editor passes, it's so hard to hear it. One of my clients describes it perfectly. Monica Acker, who's going to be on that bookshelf in November, says it's like finding the right pair of jeans. You can wear any pair of jeans and it's okay. But when you find those right pair of jeans that look so good and make you feel good, that's what you want. And so that's what we do. It's like when we read something that we're like, yes, that's <laughs> Found them. Oh my. It doesn't happen very often, though, because we also realize there's a ton of work that goes into every single client. And it's not just the stuff that you guys see, there's a ton of stuff behind the scenes.
4: Yeah, Caitlin, i realize realized I don't do query dances. I do the opposite when I see something I really love. I get really still. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I'm like, oh, there goes my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> there goes all the things I was supposed to do today. <laughs> but yeah, to just echo what Caitlin said, it really is a matter of not just saying, I really like this. Like, oh my God, I love this. And as a writer, you want that because that's someone who's going to be there. For all the fun parts and all the not so fun parts as well. And you want to make sure that you're working with someone who has that intense emotional connection with your work. So yeah.
3: On, I think all platforms, I'm Leanne 17 K-A-I-T-L-Y-N-L-E-A-N-17. Yes, Caitlin17.
1: And Eric, what's
8: your I'm the very creative Eric D. Hahn on Twitter. And I think I'm the same thing on Instagram. I'm pretty much a newbie on both of them. And on Facebook, I'm Eric Hahn. It's H-A-N. If anyone tells Facebook, H A A. Yes.
2: Great. So much fun. Thank you guys. Anna, come on up. All righty.
5: The query and first page I picked are from Susan Daniels. I am not going to say anything. I'm going to let Susan read her query letter so that you can have the same
9: experience I had. And then I'll talk after. Thank you so much. Really excited. All right, dear Miriam, when I got the call to be a contestant on the Wheel of Fortune, I knew in my bones that I was going to win. What I didn't know was that I would be one of the show's biggest winners and that my best friend, the one I'd brought to the game show taping, was having an affair with my husband. He would eventually seek full custody of our three young children And I would need every cent of my game show winnings to convince the court to let me move from California back to the East Coast and raise my children myself. The before and after girl is a true story of the unbelievable events that changed my life forever. I was a New York City actress trying to build a life with my husband in medical school when debt and deferred dreams threatened to destroy our happiness. I lost myself in a marriage, playing the role of the dutiful doctor's wife, and then literally won my life back by solving a set of puzzles on national TV. My story is equal parts Elizabeth Edwards' resilience and David Sideris' Santalan Diaries. It will find a market with anyone who has ever been married and anyone curious about the -the behind-the-scenes world of game shows and show business. It's an ideal read for book clubs and for any reader determined to love her family and keep alive hopes for her own future. After all, the wheel of fortune turns for us all. The before and after girl shows that life can be painful and funny. And letting go of having it all can be the first step to having all you need. Given your interest in narrative nonfiction with a heart, and stories with an important social focus, women's roles, and difficulty in obtaining a move-away order, I hope you will consider representing the before and after girl. For the submission guidelines, please find below a bit more about me, as well as the first chapter. The completed manuscript is available in part or full upon request. Thank you for your consideration.
5: Right? I mean, holy, totally. I'm reading this. There are exclamation points. It's like, one, two exclamation points, three exclamation points, four exclamation points. Like, What is happening? So yeah, you couldn't keep me from reading this book. I am so interested. The way that you pulled it all together. I like the parallels of losing and winning, that you're lost, you're found. The fate, the wheel of life, and the visuals that come with. It's so indoctrinated in our society that we know what wheel of fortune is. And I come from a generation where being homesick meant you could watch game shows and bad soaps all day. And so this visual of you reaching down and spinning that wheel and then also being in court and spinning that wheel, like all the different spins of the wheel and just the way that you layered that first paragraph, like all the different metaphor you used, the way you laid it out, it just, it was captivating. You got me right out of the gate and I can't <laughs> wait to find out
9: the whole story. I'm so glad you like the letting go metaphor because just a fun fact. When you're on these game shows, they make you practice spinning the wheel. I and because it's, that. and because it's so heavy, they make you release it at the end with your hand that goes out like this. You've probably seen it. And it's because if you hold on too tight,
6: it, it will drag
9: you, it will pull you down into the Woo! back. So it is important that you let go of the wheel. All right. So why don't you go ahead and read your first page? Okay, and I sent you all the prologue, so it's not officially the first page, but it's the prologue. Yes and no. I lower my eyes to the legal pad, and the words stare back at me. No is circled. It's already been used. Only yes is left. I stare at the door to the judge's chambers, now closed tight, sealed like the seal of the state of California. A state I never wanted to move to. A state I now fight to move from. What is happening behind that door? The law won't let me move with my children. My husband, who has rarely been with the kids, now wants custody of all three. If the law says yes to him, the kids can't move. I won't move. No one will move. The wheel of fortune is spinning, but it's not a game this time. A knob turns and the chamber door opens wide. Three men and one woman emerge, expertly taking their places on cue. The decision is done. In the next minute, I will learn if I am trapped for the next 15 years, or free, or the rest of my life. No or yes. Trapped or free. Lose or win. I
5: love it, Susan. And I get like the escape room feeling from this prologue page. Like, who will she be when she leaves this room? What will she have when she leaves this room? And I had one clarifying question because everything you have is so good. And I just recovered from COVID. So this could be a COVID brain question, or this could be an important question for your readers that are going to be reading this. There's a legal pad on the desk in front of her. And so- What's written on the legal pad, the yes and no, is that in her handwriting, and I don't have a clear idea of what the yes and no represents other than the obvious right
9: abstraction. Yeah. Of that no. You find out later that I'm not supposed to talk to anybody during the trial, but I have a paralegal sitting next to me and she says, whatever happens, I'll put no and yes on the legal pad. And then if somebody asks you a question and you don't know the answer, I'll circle what you should say. So I've already had to say no because I blanked when the judge asked me. He said, "Is there anything that you could have done to save this marriage?" And I'm thinking to myself, frontal lobotomy. Like I'm like literally. <laughs>
5: okay, so you that know? brings me to my second thing. So one question: If there's a way to clarify this, like a note sprawled by my paralegal on my legal pad, just something that that gives that. So It was such a short page. You don't want to confusion. Because it's yeah. so good. I read it again a couple of times and chalked it up to code. Okay. I lost some heads. No, it's not COVID. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, no. okay. And then thank you. That humor. So you promised Sedaris. Now I'm reading Sedaris' new book. I'm obsessed with David Sedaris, and he's one of the people who actually made me want to be a writer because I was like, oh, you can be a complete weirdo and share your inner monologue. Fan. I'm not allowed to read his book right now in bed because it keeps my husband awake. I am shaking again. <laughs> So I want to throw this out to the agents and those who are reading these query letters. If you promise Sedaris, should there be funny on the pages you're sending in? Oh, yeah. All right. So like you said, this is the prologue. And obviously, I'm dying to read chapters one through the end. If you promise Sedaris in your query and the pages you send with the query don't have funny, you don't want them to doubt you for a second. You promise Sedaris, particularly Sandaland Diaries, which is weird as F. You want to bring a little of that to the party.
9: Got it. And you're suggesting that I bring it immediately, or can I bring it in the next few pages?
5: How often is someone just going to be reading one page, Julie, Jess? If you've got one page, maybe you switch out Sedaris in the cover page, right? So what you're submitting to and how many pages you get, it doesn't have to be hilarious on page one, but if you only have one page and you only have one query letter, make sure those things are... Yeah, that makes sense. That they line beautiful. That's so useful, yeah. This is brilliant. I can't wait to read your story and I can't wait Work to my yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, and where can we um I don't tweet yet, but I'm on Instagram at Anaconathan Coaching and com is my website. And I'm still on Facebook because I'm almost 50 and that's where we go.
9: <laughs> and Susan, where can we find you? On Instagram, I'm Greenly is my middle name agent said you gotta smile twice to say it i like it green lee is only in hollywood
1: and last but certainly least, yeah come all in de-
6: here i am fantastic who did you pick i picked a ya fantasy author of a book called after death and her name is loretta i'm gonna not be great at pronouncing this one chef Chowney? Hi! you. I did
10: great. That was perfect. I oh, did?
7: Oh my.
6: Wow. did, Loretta Chef Showney. That's what you said, right? That is what I said. Yeah. The take. <laughs> it is now. It's a beautiful name. I'm glad I didn't mess it up. Oh my gosh, Loretta. You had me on so many levels with the query. Then I couldn't wait to open the first page. Then I read the first page and I was like, okay. This person's going to be published very soon. I need to meet her now. So I just can't wait for everyone else to hear your query and your first page. I'll hold off and let you do that so everyone else can get excited like me. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much. Dear panelists,
10: a YA contemporary fantasy after death combines mystery and mythology and can be described as a Muslim ghost whisperer. Complete at 85,000 words, the story draws upon the Islamic concept of Barzak, the stage between this world and the hereafter. It will appeal to fans of The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert and Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas. Jeanette Jahari, a 17-year-old Moroccan-American Muslim, hears the voices of the dead in Barzak while near their graves. Helping her detective dad solve murders by questioning the victims isn't something she can put on a college application, but it's easier than passing Arabic class. The downside? Being bombarded by the joyous voices of good soul mixed with the screams of evil ones equals one whopping graveyard hangover. Worse, no matter how many killers she brings to justice, Jeanette's haunted by the one case her mother's, missing and presumed dead, she can never solve. Since no body was found, there's no grave Jeanette can visit to speak with her. When a mysterious boy seeks her help in communicating with his deceased father, Jeanette gets more than she bargained for, an ancient djinn who offers her a chance to travel to Barzak in Spirit and find her mother's soul. The journey will be fraught with dangers, and unbeknownst to Jeanette, the jinn has an agenda of her own, one that doesn't include Jeanette, making it back to her body. The mother of two mixed race, Muslim young adult, I wrote After Death because I want to see more unapologetically Muslim protagonists, especially in the types of stories traditionally told from the perspective of the dominant paradigm. My work has placed in contests such as the Right Mentor Children's Novel Award, Blue Pencil Agency's First Novel Award, and Voyage YA's First Chapter Contest, and I'm an alum of the Pitch Wars Mentorship Contest. In 2021, I was chosen as one of 16 out of 300 applicants to be part of the Highlights Foundation's first ever Muslim Storytellers Fellowship. Thank you for your time and consideration.
6: Okay. I am not an agent, obviously, but I read that and I was like, oh my goodness, this is such a fascinating voice. First of all, the phrase Muslim ghost whisperer It's just a nugget of gold. Hold on to that tagline. It's awesome. I love any kind of paranormal things. And even though I write contemporary realism, (laughs) I often have a thread of that running through And so I was fascinated right away. I personally will admit to not knowing a lot about all the things that you mentioned. Like I was looking them up on the dictionary. And I just love the idea that I'm going to learn so much about another culture by reading your book. And I totally trust your voice. Like I'm right there with you. And I can't wait for everyone to hear the first page. I couldn't agree more that we need more unapologetic Muslim voices. And I love the age you're targeting. But I tell you what, when you put the bit in about the mom, it was like into my chest, gripped my heart and just went like this because I was like, okay, not only is she going to take me on this like wild journey after life, after death, but I'm going to get an emotional, very universal theme of a mother child. Dynamic and a loss and a grief, which I also happen to write about. So, those are why it really spoke to me. And there were so many other things that I read that I really liked, but this one just tapped everything for me. So, I can't wait for everyone to hear your first page. And congratulations on that highlights. That is a really cool thing to read on your Uh, query. So, great query. Just start to finish. Great query for me. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay, ready with your page? Okay, the dead are loud tonight.
10: More than usual, I should say, since loud seems to be their default mode. As October ushers in the first chill to Chicago's night, a hint of the brutal pull that will engulf our city in the months to come, it's almost like the dead sense winter coming too, but that's silly. An unseen barrier separates our world from theirs, a barrier that is, for the most part, impenetrable. The headstones in eternal hills are gaudy, rising waist-high in odd shapes like giant crooked chest pieces. A woman's disembodied laughter rides the air, full and ripe with joy, but is swallowed by the spectral scream of another, as shrill as a windstorm. I try to block them out and concentrate on lifting one foot and then the other. Soil squelches under my van's thick sole, dampness seeping through the canvas side. An old man weeps. Someone croons a Chinese lullaby. Begs for mercy in Dutch. Cantillates a sacred scripture. I suck in breath after breath. I can't lose myself in the cloud of voices. They'll drown me if I do. I stagger forward, stumble. The crumbling ivory edifices around me become a shifting maze my eyes can barely focus on. Remember why you're here. I have to talk to the little girl to help her family and something else, someone I've been trying to find. I finger the loose fabric of my hijab, the white one with dainty blue roses like the pattern of a porcelain plate. It reminds me of Mama, of her advice when I first wore it, her expert fingers folding the rectangular scarf to frame my face. Janette, always start by renewing your niya. The hope that maybe this will be the case that leads to my mama finally clears the dizziness from my head. A cool breeze wafts across my back. I yank up the hood of my band of sweatshirt, huddling deeper inside the cotton, and enter the children's section of the cemetery.
6: I think it's appropriate that we had a few moments of silence just <laughs> to absorb. I'm just like completely blown away. I was completely blown away because your writing is so skillful. All the things that you brought up in the query, they're all in there. We got the culture. We got the ghosts. We got this incredibly atmospheric, spooky scene. We got the mother. Like, wow, how did you get that hell on the first page? I know how hard first pages are. And I just think you should be really proud of yourself. Even if the rest of the book wasn't finished yet, that one page is like an amazing feat. The first line is a grabber. Then in the second line, I already know she's from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. So I immediately was like, OK, yes, I know what it feels like when it starts to get chilly. And that's a perfect graveyard setting. Then the beautiful imagery of the tombstones and then those wonderful examples of the different voices she was hearing. And then the mother and the beautiful sensory imagery with her fingertip going through the fabric and just that longing for missing someone already. I just was so moved by it. And I'm also so excited because I love ghost stories. So it's just like a perfect mashup of those typically unexpected combination of things, I think. I loved it. So congratulations to you. I am amazed. Thank you so much. Your words are making me so happy. (laughs) I'm so glad I read it and I was just like, wow. This is amazing. I can't wait to read it. So I hope you'll send it to me because I really want to read the whole thing. I would love to. (laughs) That would be fabulous.
2: Thank you so much, you guys. Where can we find you online?
10: I'm on Twitter at writerly underscore me and on Instagram and Facebook as Loretta Shepshoni.
6: Kim, what about you? Oh, yeah. I am on Twitter as C. Kelly Rose, the letter C. Kelly, K E L Y Rose. And my Instagram is C Kelly Rose Books. And I'm also on Facebook as just, I think, Cameron Kelly Rosenblum. Cameron, did you have something for Loretta? Loretta, I want to send you a copy of my book. And I also would love to give you a 10 page critique if you would like that for me. But I would be really delighted to do that for you. It's also my way of getting to read the next
9: five
10: pages. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. That's so kind. I'm so excited to read your book. (laughs) Oh, thank you.
2: Thanks. Cam's book is absolutely fabulous. I know that it is a Kirkus star review and it's going on to do very well. And you guys, it's always so great to hear from writers who've been exactly (laughs) in the spot that you have sat and has gone through the struggle and has come out the other end and books are just kicking out of Cam. Yeah.
6: My message tonight is hang in there because I could have given up about five different times. And then all of a sudden, all the things that I'd been trying to figure out for so long fell into place. And then it just happens. And someone mentioned having imposter syndrome
1: after hearing. Yes, these were absolutely excellent. Please do not think that this is the norm. This is way above average. So don't be stressing out thinking everyone is doing this. These were amazing. Thank you all for choosing these, for sending your work. It's really incredible.
3: And also piggyback off Jessica about the imposter syndrome. If you're feeling that way, just remember everybody that you heard today's probably rewrote their first page crazy number of times. So I'm pretty sure they look completely different than when they first wrote it. So it is about the journey. Your first page is not going to be amazing out the gate, but as long as you put in the work, you'll get there.
2: Thank you for being here. You guys are amazing. We're just really hoping that on your dark times, and you will have dark times of publishing. Everyone does that. You remember that we're all just here together. We're all just on the journey. So Jessica, any final thoughts? We appreciate you. You're so talented. You're so amazing. I hope
1: you are all feeling better now. And yeah, we are here to be your community, whatever the world is doing. <laughs> Great. Thanks everybody. Special thank you to our panelists. who were all amazing. Thank you. Special thank you to all of you for sending your work. We appreciate you and keep
0: in touch. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our
1: First Pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com
0: with First Pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.